What do we do when we face uncertain times? Those, those times that used to seem so clear that now seem really foggy. Those things we used to go, oh yeah, you can count on this and we go now. I, I really don't even know what you can count on. Everything is uncertain. Everything in our lives that used to be so certain is now uncertain. And those uncertain times drive up things we don't really know how to handle. We really don't know. And maybe it's an uncertain time in your marriage. You're like, I don't know really where we are. We started off so good and I just, we're in a weird season right now. Or maybe it's with your children and it's what is their future gonna hold? Where are they gonna go after, after uh, elementary school? What middle school do we go to? What high school do we go to? Lord knows, where do we go to college? All those uncertain things. Maybe it's the economy. And what you thought you could count on, you go, now, I, I really don't know where the market's going. I don't know what, what's gonna happen with the, all the retirement I've put away. All those uncertain things. And maybe you thought life was good and you got a very uncertain, doctors, you had a very uncertain health report, doctor's appointment. You're like, now I, I don't even know what to believe. I don't even know what to think. I don't even know how to, how, to, how to handle it. And uncertainty in seasons comes with emotions, right? So it's not just we're uncertain. Now we're fearful. Now we have doubts. Now we have questions. Now we have worries. Now we have concerns. Now we have things we just didn't see coming. And, and there's just this feeling of anxiousness that lives in our gut on a perpetual basis. And we go, I just don't know anymore. Well, your faith will never remove you from uncertainty. But let me tell you what your faith will do. It will get you through uncertain seasons, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter one. 2 Kings chapter one is where we're gonna be today. If you've got the notes, you're gonna want them out today because if you're not in an uncertain season, you probably got one coming around the corner, and these will be good to pull out because God left us a story in the life of Elijah that will help us get through those seasons and get through those times. Uh, if you've got the North Star app, all the stuff's in there too. Go to North Star Church, Georgia, in the app store, and that will guide us along. If I've never met you before, my name's Mike. I'm really glad to be with you. Let's stand and read together, would you? Second Kings chapter one. We've been walking with this guy, Elijah. Man, we've 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 why we've been in we've been at it since June last week. Daniel did a great job talking about Elijah's cave experience and how he got through that. And he sent Elisha, his sidekick, his two, his buddy, to get him through this final leg. But now things get very uncertain in Elijah's life. Here we go. Second Kings chapter one verse one. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Time out. Fourth quarter, one minute left. Ninth inning, two outs. Soccer, lacrosse, I don't know what the end looks like. But anyway, so y'all know where I'm going with this. So you, you got, we're at the end of Elijah's journey, right? Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here 
for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha, who God sent for Elijah, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never, what are the next two words? I'm, ha- I'm hanging in. I'm, not, I'm sticking with you. Big, big in the story, by the way. We're gonna talk about it here in a few minutes. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elijah, Elisha, and asked him, so in every one of these little towns we're gonna visit, there's a little group that meets there. They're like a little training ground for young prophets, right? It's basically what's going on. And these young prophets come to Elisha and say, did you know the Lord is gonna take your master away today? You know the guy that you've hitched your wagon to. He's gone at the end of the day. Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, I want you to stay here for the Lord has told me now to go to Jericho. And Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never, what are the next two words? So they went together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho, they came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord's gonna take your master away from you today? I don't know how they all got the memo, but they all got the memo. And they said, of course I know, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I'll never leave you. So they went on together. Then Elijah folded his cloak, his outer garment. He folded his cloak and he went down, struck the water, the river divided, and the two of men, two men went across on dry ground. All right, everybody look at me. Big deal, because in the nation of Israel, everybody knew about Joshua taking the children of Israel across the Jordan River. At the end of Elijah's life, he and Elisha now, we're gonna unpack it in a few minutes, are going back across that river. When they got to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. It's, it, it's time. Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you'll get your request, but if not, you won't. Basically, that's not up to me, that's up to the Lord. If you don't see me go away, <laughs> tough noogies, all right? It didn't work out well, right? It, 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 it isn't God's favor. But look at what happened. As they were walking along, talking, Suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried up by a whirlwind to heaven. Everybody look at me. He's one of only two men listed in Scripture that did not die a physical death. Elisha, Elijah and Enoch were the only two guys ever mentioned in Scripture that were taken up to heaven, and it's a foreshadowing of what the rapture is gonna be like for the church one day when Jesus decided, I'm gonna come back and get my people, right? And they're just gonna be, you're gonna be going up for a layup and you just keep going and going and going, right? I mean, you're, you're gone. That's, that's literally the picture of what's happened. And so look at what Elisha does. Elisha cried out and said, my father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress, meaning God was present and I gotta deal with it. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen 
Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and he cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed and said, Elijah's spirit rest upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and they bowed to the ground before him. Would you pray with me? Father, Elijah and Elisha got uncertainty. God, may the lessons they learned we can pull out of their lives get us through our uncertain seasons. So God, speak to us, teach us, and do your work in us. And Father, I pray this now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Elijah, all throughout Elijah's life, God had been there and God had come through. Elijah now is about to leave this life and go to the next life, right? He's never been there. He's never been to heaven. He doesn't know what heaven's gonna be like. He doesn't know how it's gonna transpire, how God's gonna take him home, and it is very uncertain when you stand toe-to-toe with the next life, it makes you reevaluate everything. I don't care how you live this life. When you get close to the end, it makes you reevaluate everything. And it wasn't like it's coming. It's like it's there. I remember hearing it reminded me of this old story of these two guys, old Brave fans. They love watching the Braves. Abe and Carl, they loved it. They watched the Braves every night. And if you lived in Atlanta in the 70s and 80s, they were bad, right? The Braves were bad. Nobody. You could hit a foul ball and land four rows from you. You can go get it on your way out, right? There was nobody at the games back then. You leave two tickets under your windshield, you come back there before, all right? Nobody wanted to go. It was, they were terrible. So Abe and Carl had this running bet, and the bet was whoever of them passed first had to get word back to the other one on whether or not there was baseball in heaven, That was the deal. They had to come and say, is there baseball in heaven? And surely to goodness, we all know the answer. What it better be on that? And so they they do it. Well, Carl passes away. He's awful. And Abe was so lonely. He was watching those games by himself and just wasn't the same. And one night he's watching the game and sure enough, there in that room, Carl appeared. And he's like, Carl, you gotta tell me, and I've missed you so much, you gotta tell me, is there baseball in heaven? And he said, I got good news and bad news. He said, what's the good news? He said, there's baseball. So what's the bad news? He said, you're pitching tomorrow night, All right? And so that's basically, so basically Elijah's about to pitch, right, is what I'm saying. Uncertain, doesn't know what's happening. Think of Elisha. Elisha now has hitched his wagon to a guy that's leaving. It's not like Elijah uh, is gonna be hanging around with Elijah. Elisha now is gonna be on his own. These schools of prophets that are all in on Elijah ain't all in on Elisha. So Elisha's future, incredibly uncertain. And we walk through a process in this passage. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. God left you this book to guide you through uncertain seasons. He did not hide any stories. He didn't tell you all the goods. You found it in Elijah last week. He's hiding in a cave last week. 
after calling down fire from heaven the week before. He left us these stories to guide us. So we learned three things, ready? What do we do when we face uncertain times? Number one, we remember what God has done. I want you to write under that this little phrase, the story of God's faithfulness. The story of God's faithfulness. It would have been so easy for Elijah to sit down to teach Elisha something or for somebody to sit down and go, let me, let me unpack all this for you. That's not how it transpired. It's really interesting. So Elijah takes Elisha on a little journey and they visit three places. I want you to write the names of these towns down because they're significant. Ready? Gilgal, G-I-L-G-A-L. First place they visited, Gilgal. Why'd they go to Gilgal? They went to Gilgal because when their ancestors had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and the great leader Moses couldn't get them across to the promised land, Moses died, God taps Joshua, the, the inexperienced leader, on the shoulder and said, you're getting the people across. And Joshua's like, me? And he's like, you. I want you to get up, be strong and courageous. In fact, he was so fearful, he had to tell Joshua three times, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. No, Joshua, be strong and very courageous. I got you. Get up and get the people across. Well, the people get up. They go to the Jordan River. So you imagine here in Compass, and a lot of you watching online, you don't have reference, but imagine something, the width of this room that's at flood stage. And they're like, we can't get across that. And God tells Joshua, go down, put your feet in the water. When you put your feet in the water, I'm gonna dry it up. Not while you're sitting at camp, I'll take care of it in advance. No, you're gonna take a little faith on your part. And he did it. And the, the children of Israel who had wandered for 40 years. How many of you are older than 40? Raise your hand. I'm sorry, thank you for being honest, all right? I, I do apologize, I'm glad some of you aren't 39 still, all right? And so, 40 years is a long time. They've never been across. They walked across on dry ground, and get what happened, this is the best part of what happened. They got to the other side, Gilgal was the town they got to. Here's what Gilgal stands for, place of beginnings. It's a place of beginnings. They got to Gilgal, and I wonder if they saw the mountain of stones that Joshua and the children of Israel took out of the middle of the river. They took them out of the middle of the river. They gathered these stones. They went by on the other side, and they, they did them so they would always remember God's faithfulness. So he take, Elijah takes Elisha to Gilgal, which was the place of beginnings. He never gives him a teaching lesson. He just... Tells him the story. God was faithful to our forefathers in their beginning, on their journey to the promised land. They didn't stay in Gilgal, though. The next town they went to was Bethel, right in Bethel down. Bethel was the town that Jacob met God in, called it the house of God. And every good Jew knew that they prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
They all knew the story of Jacob and his wrestling with God and they went to Bethel. And I wonder if they recounted the story in Bethel of God's faithfulness. Bethel, I want you to write this down, is a place of returning. Every time Jacob would doubt and wonder, God would say, Jacob, go back to Bethel. Go back to Bethel. Go back to where it all started. Go back to Bethel. So he takes Elisha to Gilgal, the place of beginnings. Bethel, the place of returning. And then the third place he took him was Jericho. Jericho was the place of victory. So Jericho was. So the children of Israel, they've been wandering for 40 years. They're fighting. Can you imagine being on a 40-year family vacation with all your relatives? Bless the Lord, right? And so that's what they've been on. 40 years they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And God wakes up and says, Joshua, he wakes Joshua up, and God didn't wake up. All right, he wakes Joshua up and says, Joshua, you're getting them across, and they go across. They have no weapons, they have no plan of attack, they have no scheme, they, and they've got now, in, to get to the promised land, they've gotta go through this walled city called Jericho. And they're like, there's no way we can do this. And God tells them, you're gonna do it, and let me tell you what you're gonna do. Here's your scheme. You're gonna march around the city seven times. And at the end of the seventh time, we're gonna blow the trumpet and shout and the walls are gonna fall down. Woo, that sounds like a great idea, right? I mean, this sounds like, okay, God, there's no way this could go wrong. And it worked. And on their way into the promised land, it was a place of victory. Here's what it meant to the children of Israel. When things look impossible, it's never impossible to God. You ever had one of those seasons? How many of y'all ever walked through something that wasn't just uncertain, it looked impossible? Raise your hand. Every child that grew up in that season knew the story of God through Jericho. He was telling Elisha, what's gonna look impossible is never impossible with God. Remember what God has done. Ladies and gentlemen, in athletics, great athletes have the ability not to speed things up, but to slow things down. Every great athlete. So we were watching The Captain on ESPN. Phenomenal on the story of Derek Jeter, other than when the Yankees beat the Braves. It's a great, it's a great story. It really is a great story. Derek Jeter had the ability to slow a game down. It's what great athletes do. When we're in uncertain seasons, let me tell you what happens to us. Everything gets on hyperspeed and we get overwhelmed. You know how we slow things down? We stop, we pause, and we remember all the ways that God has been faithful to us in our journey. We don't get lost in the moment of it. We pause. Now we remember what God has done. Look at number two. We resist the urge to compromise. This is huge. I want you to, to write under that. Compromise equals control. That's what that means. Compromise equals control. We will compromise because we control the outcome of things if we compromise them. 
So early in our marriage, Ann and I had made a decision, and our decision was to give to the Lord. All right, so we're 22 and 21. We really knew what we were getting into, all right? And so we're married, and I remember saying, okay, we're gonna live off 80%, and we're gonna give the Lord our first 10, and we're gonna save 10. Well, that sounds great till bills start. Sounds like, oh, yeah, of course. And then you're adding up the numbers going, this don't play. This doesn't work. And I remember compromise getting in my brain of going, nobody will ever know. Who's going to say anything? Compromise. So am I going to control it and take the shortcut? Or am I going to do it the way God says and trust him? See, when we don't compromise, we trust in outcomes we don't have control over. Does that make sense to everybody? When I compromise in my marriage, or I compromise in my finances, or I compromise in my job, or I compromise with some ethical things going on, it means I wanna control the outcome. Elisha did not compromise. He looked at Elijah and goes, no, 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 the Lord sent me to you. I will never, what were the two words? I'm not compromising, Elijah. I'm sticking with you. I'm thick with you. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you face. I am in with you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you this. Compromising is always easier on the front end, but you have to pay the price for compromise on the back end. Would y'all agree with that? When you don't compromise, you pay the price on the front end, but you reap the benefits on the back end. We have to resist the urge to compromise. Here's what I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you at my age, knowing what I know and doing what I've done for as long as I've done it, compromise is less of an option now as it was earlier. I would tell you it's easier to compromise now more than it was earlier. You just like feel like, well, I've earned a compromise. It's like a mulligan. We went putt-putting while we were on vacation and we get one that we get a redo on, Right? I just, I'll redo that shot. I need like eight of those. But anyway, so we did redo the shot. You don't get mulligans in this. You don't get to go, well, I know I compromised, but it's not a big deal. Listen, the longer we live, the grayer we love to make the lines because compromise is easy. And we, ladies and gentlemen, whether you admit or not, you like being in control. When we get in my car and go somewhere, I drive everywhere you go. Out of all the people in my vehicle, I have the worst driving record of anybody in the car, right? But I like being in control, so I like the steering wheel. We're the same way in life. We have to resist the urge to compromise. Why? Because God's blessings lay on the other side of trust. Does that make sense to everybody? God's blessings lay on the other side of trust. And it ain't easy. As we raised our children, we sure would have loved to have compromised to make things easier. We just chose not to, and we had to live through some hard seasons. Resist the urge of compromise. And number three, we remember what God has done, we resist the urge to compromise, and we rely on God's power daily. 
Ladies and gentlemen, what you choose to do with this book will tell me a lot about your life. So in just a few minutes, we're gonna do a commissioning of a young lady on our staff, meaning we we've see God's hand in her life and we are, are saying we are behind her while she's at commissioning means while you're at North Star, we see God's hand on you and we, we see how God's using you. And I wrote in the front of her Bible, I wrote these words, I pray that the words of this book will guide your life and guard your heart. Tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., I'll be on a call with a bunch of guys and I'll say this phrase at some time in there. Guys, the only way we live for Jesus is we get up, we lock eyes with him the next day and we walk towards him a little bit more than I walked yesterday. If you do that, you're gonna like where you end up. We've gotta rely on God's power. I'm gonna go ahead and just go ahead and let you know whether you're 25, 15, 55, 75, anywhere in between, you can't do it on your own. You can't. You gotta rely on God's power. I love Elisha looking at Elijah and said, I'll tell you what I want. I want a double portion of what God's done with you. I mean, it's a go big, go home moment. He goes big. And Elijah goes, if God allows you to see it, then he's gonna answer. You gotta rely on his power. You, my power is gonna do nothing for you. You've gotta rely on his power. What God did for me last week's great, but I need him tomorrow. I need him on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. I need him for things I don't even know are coming yet. People will say, man, don't you wish you could see in the future and see what all's coming? I don't. I don't wanna know what's coming. I'll just deal with it when I get there, right? I don't wanna worry about it. He's gonna give me what I need right when I need it. So I'll tell you a little story. So a lot of you, you know of us. I don't know you. I've never sat down and had lunch with you. So Ann and I are just, um, I've had two, so this tells you a little bit about us. I've had two jobs since 1991. 91, 96, I was a student pastor. 97 to 2022, if y'all continue to keep me around, I've been at North Star, right? I mean, I just don't, we don't change. My parents Bought a house in Fayetteville, Georgia in 1973. We sold that house after they passed in 2017. That's a little of our lineage of where we come from. So we had, uh, in 2018, we had decided, you know what? Our kids are grown. That season is over. Let's get something smaller and begin our next leg of this new season of life where it's the two of us, right? We don't need all the space we had before and you know that'll keep them from moving home. There ain't nowhere for them to go, all right? And so whatever, whatever ulterior motives were, but so we, we bought a, a little house and it is much smaller uh, than the one we were in and it seemed like the best idea until it wasn't. So we had to renovate it, need a little work, we move in, we live with her parents for two months while they're working on the house, which is the dream of all of us, all right, to live with our in-laws for a couple months at, at our age. We're empty nesters, whoa, let's move with your parents. All right, and they were awesome. And so we went and moved in with them. Then we, bought, we moved to the house November of 2018. 
And if you could name something that could go wrong, it went wrong. Water is great on the outside of the house, but not on the inside. I'm in a meeting at Westridge, and I get a call from man, our basement isn't leaking, our basement is flooding, like up to the knee, getting in the basement. And we're like, what? I mean, we never one time in 18 years at our old house, never one time had a leak, ever. Now our basement's flooding. And then we begin to hear residents in the walls that weren't supposed to be there, that are furry, right? And so, and you're like, what in the world? And I remember, we were getting anxious about it. I remember I had to drive to Tuscaloosa beginning of December, because it was after Thanksgiving. We just moved in for Thanksgiving week. We move it in, and Mary Michael goes, I can't wait to see our new house. I'm bringing six friends home from college. Woo! All right, and so Mary Michael brings her friends home. We celebrate Thanksgiving. The next weekend, I am in Tuscaloosa on a Saturday at a baseball conference, MC in a baseball conference, and I get a call from Ann driving home, and it is a frantic call. We're flooding again. We're getting water in again and it's pouring down rain, I get home, and when I say, and this is, this is like this big, it's just a story. We got home and like, we have just royally made a massive mistake. Get up, we come to church, sit up on Sunday morning going, you can trust when God tells you, and went home going, what have we done? I mean, this is, y'all, this is the way, this, I'm just telling you how the game works. So how the game works. So that afternoon, about four o'clock, I said, Ann, let's get in the car. So we got in the car, and I don't know what possessed me to do this. We got in the car, and we drove out down along Chastain to our very first townhouse that we got when we got married. We rented. We left there, and we drove out to Woodstock, which was the little house we bought. Our very first house, we bought $88,000. We paid for that house little neighborhood out in Woodstock. It's that home we brought Casey home to. We left there. We drove back by the church I served for five and a half years that were five and a half years of the, I showed up and there were literally less than 30 kids there. And when we left in 2000, it left in 1997, there was a lot of kids coming to that church into 96. We talked, we told stories of kids. We sat in the parking lot, told stories of kids. Left there, we drove by North Star, sat in our parking lot, talked about North Cobb High School, our years there, years here. Drove up 41, we lived in Blue Springs for a season. It's the home we brought Mary Michael home to and then we drove out to our old neighborhood and we stopped and got something to eat. But anyway, so and then we drove out to, to Wyndham Woods, our old neighborhood. We got home. At every leg of that journey, there was massive uncertainty. But you know what there was in the rearview mirror? God's faithfulness and goodness. We sat in the parking lot at this house. We were thinking, we have bought the house from you know where. Instead of God got us here, he's gonna take care of us. And we never look back. Guys, we all have those seasons. Maybe it's when you're dropping your kids off at college. Maybe it's when you're dropping them off for the first day of school. You're watching their little feet walk into school and you're like, I don't 
control them anymore. You can't hide on the playground and protect them. You can't be behind the bushes while they're playing to make friends. You gotta, you gotta let them go. I don't know your season of uncertainty. But I'll tell you this. God was faithful at Gilgal. He was faithful at Bethel. He was faithful at Jericho. And he's faithful for you. Would y'all pray with me? Maybe you are sitting in our room watching online this morning. You go, Mike, I have nothing to be faithful in. Like, I don't even have a faith. I don't have a spiritual story to trust in. I got my mom's faith and dad's faith borrowed, my grandparents, but I don't own a faith. Mike, today I want to meet Jesus. I want to meet the God that these people sang about, lifted their hands for. I want to meet him today. Can I pray a prayer? It really isn't the words, it's the cry of your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. And I don't want to live another day without you. Would you pray that? I do believe you lived for me. I do believe you died for me. And I do believe you rose again just for me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my personal Lord and Savior today. If you prayed that prayer this morning, welcome home. Welcome home. You'll never be on your, alone on your journey again. He will never, ever, ever leave you to do it by yourself. Maybe, though, you're a believer and you're like, Mike, I am in the middle of uncertainty right now. I, I can't even tell you all the ways it's uncertain. Would you pause and look back on your journey in the rearview mirror of God's faithfulness and let him remind you of how he was there for you before? How he got you through that impossible situation before? He's going to get you through this one. Would you just feel his hand on your shoulder? His arm around your back? His hand on your chin to go, I got you. Father, today, get us, take us where we need to be. And that is my prayer. Jesus' name. Would y'all stand with me? There are sometimes in uncertainty, I don't know what to pray. Sounds terrible, but it's true. But there are songs that will be your words one day that we claim because they are true. This song if you know Jesus, when you're in the fourth quarter, there's a minute left. This will be the song you can sing because the words are true. I want you to sing them from the bottom of your heart today as your prayer to the Lord, would you?